Chapter 3, Sporting the Frida Kahlo The comet left me adrift in a river of teen angst. Words escaped me. For once, I didn't have a cutting response at the ready. My face was on fire. My eyes filled with hot tears. I wanted to crawl under my wobbly desk in ninth grade English and stay hidden there forever. It wasn't the worst plan. Our high school was equipped with showers and a well-stocked cafeteria. I could remain tucked away on the floor of Mrs. Carter's classroom until the final bell rang, and when everyone left to go home, I could emerge from hiding to eat the leftover scraps in the commissionary kitchen and shower in the girls' locker room. I'd let the warm water run over me as I cradled myself in the fetal position. I'd sleep on the cot in the nurse's office, and when morning rolled around, I'd find safe harbor beneath another desk so that I would never have to make eye contact with anyone again. I would miss my parents, but then again, they were the ones to blame for my predicament. You did this to me, I would scream if they tried to take me home. You're the reason I have to live the rest of my life like Quasimodo's busted little sister. Unless you make your living as a supermodel, you know what it's like to have at least one physical imperfection that makes you feel irreversibly ugly. That one feature you'd change in a heartbeat if you could. For me, it's always been my dominant nose. Why couldn't I have been the first Iranian in the history of the world born with a button nose? Why did my face have to confirm the most widespread stereotype about our people? But it wasn't my unfortunate nasal structure that nearly turned me into a hermit that day I decided to build a home under my desk. It was a tiny patch of unwanted hair that had never even made it onto my 10 things I hate about myself list until Gideon Wright pointed it out. Gideon was my very first high school crush. The pages of my freshman year diary are littered with his name. My love for him facilitated from one entry to another. Some days, I wanted to be with him forever. Other days, I knew my feelings would never be reciprocated, and that it was my civic feminist duty to get over him. I didn't know any of the other boys in our freshman class, and Gideon was the only guy I'd ever come across who not only was cute and charming, but also appreciated my dry humor. I fell for him by default. We sat next to each other in English, and even though he was way out of my league, a part of me clung to the hope that my dazzling personality and biting sense of humor would wear him down. The beginning of our relationship would play out like the like the end of every good teen movie, where the popular guy falls for the nerdy girl. I imagined that Gideon would proudly hold my hand through the halls of our high school and announce to his football player buddies that he was into me and that he wasn't going to hide anymore. Those were the kind of fantasies that monopolized my thoughts at night and during the day and in the morning and at dusk. Here's what I never imagined Gideon doing in those fantasies snickering at me in class and declaring, you only have one eyebrow. It took me a moment to fully comprehend what he was saying. I had two eyebrows, just like anyone else. And then I realized he was referring to the thin strands of hair that existed between them. I'd been cursed with a unibrow. How had I never realized it before? I never thought it was that noticeable. My whole life, my mom and aunts had praised me for how American I looked. It was a virtue to have paler skin than most Iranians, not to mention hair that was several shades lighter than my family members. The dense hair on my arms was almost blonde, and my eyebrow hairs weren't nearly as thick as the ones my sister had been born with.
If she was blessed with false skin and a great rack, then I was blessed with unwanted hair that was less visible in the sun. My unibrow being made fun of wasn't part of the love story I had envisioned for Gideon and me. I'd expect that from the shallow, pompous best friend character who would try to get between us, but not from the guy I was supposed to end up with before the credits rolled. I went home that day and examined my eyebrows in the mirror. Good God, they were awful. I took another look at my school portrait and discovered that I looked like that I had a hungry, fuzzy caterpillar sprawled across my face. That's when I had an epiphany. When my mom and aunts praised me for being hairless, they meant by Persian women's standards. I was still hairy by everyone else's standards. Why didn't any of my no-hair-don't-care Asian friends or my fair-skinned blonde American friends take me aside and say, Sarah, if you want to have sex with anyone ever, then you might want to consider purchasing tweezers and separating your Siamese eyebrows from each other. But even if they had, it wouldn't have made a difference. Believe it or not, plucking your eyebrows is considered a rite of passage for Iranian girls. According to my mom, we couldn't mess with our brows until we turned 15. We were, however, allowed to shave our legs and bleach our mustaches. I mean, the woman wasn't a monster. But that meant I still had one very long, torturous year before I stopped being fuzzy caterpillar forehead girl. There was no way Gideon would publicly call me his girlfriend if I didn't pluck the 10 to 15 hairs that were ruining my life. Danny Zuko didn't want to be seen with Sandy because she wore cardigans. Greece would have had a very different ending if she'd shown up at the carnival in spandex, a head of curls and a bushy unibrow. I didn't understand why my mom insisted on making me suffer. Didn't she know that all of the other girls in my freshman class were sporting the coveted and trendy two-eyebrow look? Trust me, my mom would say, once you start plucking your eyebrows, you'll never be able to stop. But even if my mom backed off and let me pluck the unwanted hairs, I knew I couldn't show up to school the very next day with standalone eyebrows. Gideon would know that he had been the reason for the cosmetic change. I may have been in love with him and I may have thought he was way too good for me, but I still had enough pride and dignity to know that I couldn't show him that he had that much power over me. I had to play it cool and keep my unibrow proudly on display. It was okay to cry in the privacy of my own bedroom, but I would never let him see me crumble. Life would have to go on relatively unchanged. I would forego, forge ahead. I would continue to manage my upper lip and do my best not to constantly run my finger over the tiny patch of hair that was destroying my will to live. Despite my plan, I couldn't understand why Iranian societal norms dictated an age-appropriate time to shape one's eyebrows. I'd already accepted that Persians cared the most about one, family, and two, how extended family members perceived them. The latter splintered into a whole slew of issues. Appearances were everything in our culture. How much money we appeared to have, how we dressed, how much we weighed, what we looked like, the list goes on. In a family of immigrants where the Sadies were essentially the only ones who hadn't been granted permanent residency, we were already at a disadvantage. There were only a few things that could help us save face, and that included keeping a nice house and looking our best. I had optimum success with the former. My bedroom was decked out in a white wicker furniture and a trendy daybed. My decorating aesthetic included a poster of the earth with the tagline, Save the Humans. 
Another wall included the iconic photo of a gingerbread man with the description, the perfect man. He's quiet. He's sweet. And if he gives you any grief, you can bite his head off. My bedroom perfectly encapsulated my personality. It said, here's a girl who cares about the environment, but also has an irreverent sense of humor. Who wouldn't, who wouldn't want to hang out with her? But my physical appearance was a different story. I had always been short for my age. Nicknames like shrimp and small fry haunted me through grade school. In high school, my petite frame and height didn't seem to matter quite as much. I still envied my statuesque friends. My closest girlfriends were 5'10". I was barely 5 feet. But I had come to accept my vertical limitations. My wardrobe left something to be desired at the start of ninth grade. My go-to outfit was a white polo shirt, khaki corduroy pants, a denim jacket, and a pair of navy blue converse. I dressed like a prepubescent boy. Plus, I still had a mouth full of braces, a nose my face could never grow into, and ears that stuck out if I didn't cover them up with my frizzy brown hair. I definitely fit the description of the ugly duckling in makeover movies, except that those girls were actually gorgeous actresses, disguised by poorly framed glasses. I wasn't always the awkward and dorky girl. I am not too modest to admit that in sixth grade, I had serious game. Boys liked me. Boys fought over me. I was like the Gigi Hadid of De Vargas Elementary. This was before I hit puberty. Actually, it was before anyone in my school hit puberty. Except for a few early developers. No one had boobs. Not only was I undeniably adorable, I was also the student body president of our elementary school. Yeah, I was an undocumented immigrant who had been elected to public office. How do you like me now, Ice? In three adjectives, I was pretty and smart and popular. In fact, I had never had as much confidence as I did when I was 11. Everything was going my way. My crush actually liked me back, and when I asked him to go with me, he said yes. That's right, I was so self-assured that I wasn't hiding, biding my time, waiting for boys to ask me out. I was taking the bull by the horns. At this point, I was also ignorant of our illegal immigration status and the sad fact that the government could kick my family and me out of the country, effectively ending any relationship I started. Life was simple and uncomplicated. But it all changed when I graduated from sixth grade and enrolled in a junior high that accommodated several different elementary schools. Puberty hit fast and hard, and I went from a solid 10 to a solid 6. I couldn't compete with girls from other grade schools who had perfectly styled perms and brand new boobs. I couldn't pull off baggy pants and tight bodysuits. No one seemed to think my plaid blazer and matching headband were cool. I was the Blair Waldorf of my generation. My stock plummeted, and by high school, it plateaued. Oh, and my hot sixth grade boyfriend left me for a girl who could effortlessly pull off an oversized Dallas Cowboys parka. Some days it felt like I was letting my mom down. She was, and still is, a total knockout. Mama Sadie's delicate features, stylish short hair and youthful skin and radiant smile were regularly commented upon. My mom fit in the MILF category. My friends and their moms were always pointing out the fact that I had a pretty mom, but they never followed upon the comment by saying I resembled her. 
And still I was proud of my mom's good looks. Even though none of her genes had apparently been passed down to me, I felt like it gave me a certain cachet among my girlfriends to have a gorgeous mom. I didn't even find it disturbing when guys my age would openly say they thought my mom was hot. You'd think an ultra-attractive mother like mine would understand why my appearance was hampered by my Frida Kahlo eyebrows, coupled with my inability to paint stunning self-portraits of said eyebrows. But my mom didn't understand. You want to know why? Because she was afraid of what her relatives would think if word got out that Shorey let her daughter pluck her brows before she turned 15. Would the older generation of great aunts and great uncles think she was a bad mom? Would they infer that her kids were sluts and harlots? Would her sisters scoff at her for abandoning her Iranian ideals and allowing hair-free Americans to weaken her resolve? Probably. My parents would be the first to admit that a favorite Iranian pastime is to sit in judgment of others. We go to family parties not to bask in each other's presence, but to whisper among ourselves about tacky dresses, botched plastic surgery, and disastrous haircuts and highlights. Iranian women who dyed their hair blonde were just setting themselves up for a lifetime of ridicule. If anyone could replace the late Joan Rivers on the red carpet, it'd be a Persian woman. Those bitches are brutal. So you can understand my mom's conundrum. If she allowed her daughter to flirt with hair removal, then family members would whisper about it. If she made her daughter stick to the natural overgrown eyebrow look, then family members would whisper about it. Either way, my poor mama was in a loose-loose situation. I'd be remiss not to add that she was also the type of mom who thought I looked beautiful no matter what, and regularly told me so. But I didn't care if the powerful, wise lioness who had given me life thought I was pretty. I wanted the 14-year-old boy who was completely blind to my inner beauty to give me validation. Luckily, after enough time passed from the unibrow burn of 1994, and after Samira appealed to our mom on my behalf, she finally gave in. I was awarded tweezers and a small boost to my fragile self-esteem. Sayonara, suckers, I thought, as I pulled out every last hair that bridged my eyebrows to each other. The pain stung and my skin turned red but it was completely worth it. My mom had tried to warn me that once I started plucking, there was no going back. I had crossed over to the dark side of hair removal. I'd entered the endless abyss of threading and waxing and lasers, otherwise known as a lifetime of physical and psychological torture. But I welcomed the agony. Gideon never came around. My unibrow was plucked on the daily, but it didn't change anything between us. He was still just that guy I occasionally flirted with in English class. Maybe it never occurred to him to think anything more of me. Or maybe he was secretly charmed by my relentless sass, but didn't have the guts to pursue me if the popular crowd didn't approve. If a boy teases you, it means he likes you. Everyone always makes this assumption, but in my case, it didn't pan out. The only outcome from the teasing was my seriously damaged sense of self. And if I was going to be truthful... Not even tweezers helped repair it. In the back of my mind, I lived in fear that being Middle Eastern was considered a turnoff to boys my age. No one at my high school knew much about Iran, and mostly associated my culture with terrorism and magic carpets. I wasn't one of the desirable exotic races. Asians did very well at my high school. They also made up 60% of the student body, and I wasn't the all-American cheerleader type either. 
Even my prettier older sister never seemed to have boyfriends, when all the other white girls in her cliques did. I couldn't help but wonder if my race automatically put me at a disadvantage. It didn't matter how often my mom told me I was beautiful, because I knew the truth. I had peaked in sixth grade. February 8th, 1995. Diary entry. I feel so ugly. There must be something really wrong with me. All the guys like the made-up, permed hair, easy, trendy girls. And I really refuse to change my whole personality to be liked by guys. I know I'm not disgusting. I guess I'm pretty average. I just feel so unexperienced and I'm sure it shows. Sometimes I just wish I could get in people's heads and see what they think about me. I've never felt like such a loser before. Today, I wish I could travel back to 1995 and slap some sense into the old me. I would grab me by the shoulders and explain that it was a great that I felt different and that I was far better than average. I would tell me that low self-esteem would be my biggest obstacle in life and that I had to dig deep and do better than phrases of encouragement like, I know I'm not disgusting. Mostly, I would tell me that getting right wouldn't amount to much in the future anyway. I can't even find the guy on Facebook, so clearly he has nothing great going on that he wants to brag about about to hundreds of acquaintances. And finally, I would end with one parting thought. Just because a girl has a perm, it does not mean that she's easy. It just means that she's going to have a lifetime of very damaged hair. Diary entry, June 17th, 1996. My parents want to read one of my journals so bad. They keep asking me to let them read one. They don't understand that these are so personal. I don't even write huge stuff in here, just everyday crap, but it's basically everything I'm thinking in my head. Most of the stuff looks lame and corny when I look back on it, but they're only for me, no one else. I could see them reading one anyway.